0: Welcome back to M, the official podcast of the NYU Bellevue Emergency Medicine Residency Program. I'm Brian Gilberti, and this is Bree C.
1: Thanks, Brian. So, what are we talking about today?
0: Well, Bree, this week, I read that Rockland County in New York declared a state of emergency due to the recent measles outbreak. There have been 157 confirmed cases of measles there since October. So now, unvaccinated children under the age of 18 have been banned from public places, including restaurants, churches, and schools in Rockland County.
1: Yeah, it's been really scary, especially as the new mom of a four-month-old. These outbreaks have made me realize that we should really brush up on dealing with measles in the emergency department, especially practicing in New York City.
0: So while measles had been virtually eradicated in the U.S. due to the MMR vaccine, 90% of recent cases have been in unvaccinated children. And for our international listeners, measles is present in many other countries around the world. But let's rewind. What exactly is measles?
1: Measles, also known as rubella, is one of the paramyxoviruses, the RNA viruses that are predominantly responsible for acute respiratory diseases like mumps, rubella, rubella, RSV, and parainfluenza. We care because measles is incredibly contagious. It spreads through the air when an infected person breathes, coughs, or sneezes, and can remain in the air for
0: up to two hours. Yes, and as ED physicians, we may see patients at any time during the course of the disease. How do you like to think about the timeline of clinical symptoms?
1: While duration varies, I think of the disease course in three phases. Incubation, prodrome, and exanthem. So first, the incubation phase, which occurs 7 to 21 days after the exposure. People are typically asymptomatic here, with possibly some transient respiratory symptoms, rash or fever. Next comes the prodromal phase, which lasts 2 to 4 days. This is when we see more fever, malaise, anorexia, and the three C's, conjunctivitis, coryza and cough. Here, we may see those pathognomonic coplick spots, a type of enanthem.
0: Oh, yeah, those tiny white, gray, bluish lesions on an erythematous base in the buccal mucosa. My book of medical school had a drawing of a cop licking a giant red, white, and blue lollipop.
1: Exactly. Coplex spots are usually followed 48 hours later by exanthem, which lasts two to six days. During this phase, patients can have a high fever, lymphadenopathy, and pharyngitis. Be on the lookout for an erythematous maculopapular blanching rash that progresses from cranial to caudal. Think of a bucket of red brash paint being poured on a guy's head and spreading down to his face, neck, trunk, then extremities.
0: Exactly. It usually spares the palms and the soles, and it morphs from a maculopapular to a coalescent to brown, then phases and desquamates. The rash disappears in the same sequence as it developed. Any pearls to differentiate varicella from measles, Brie?
1: Well, varicella rash starts with raised red bumps or papules that turn into vesicles before scabbing over. Measles rash usually don't have fluid in them. They're flatter, and they coalesce more.
0: Great. So now we've got the clinical course down. A one to three week long incubation period. Next, the prodrome of fever, the three C's, and complex spots followed by pharyngitis and the typical cephalocaudal maculopapular exanthem. Individuals with measles are infectious four days before and after the onset of rash.
1: Got it. So now let's talk about triage. I think most of us jump on high alert whenever we see fever plus rash and or a cough.
0: Yeah, while it could just be a benign virus... In this day and age, I'd say go overboard on precautions until you've taken the most contagious possibilities off the differential.
1: Exactly. So if we're concerned, give the patient a face mask and put him or her in a single bed, negative pressure room with airborne isolation. Anyone entering the room should be vaccinated and wear an N95 face mask.
0: Embry, what questions are you asking to help decide whether it's just a bad URI or actual measles?
1: The key ones are whether the patient has had any known exposures to measles over the past month, and obviously if he or she has been vaccinated. It's also important to remember that disease presentation may be blunted in partially immunized adults. So getting that history about contacts, exposure, and living in a zip code with measles transmission is critical.
0: So I know that a non-immune person has a 90% chance of developing measles after being exposed to someone with measles. The vaccination is pretty incredible. 93% of individuals are protected with one dose and 97% with two doses. Immunity kicks in three weeks after vaccination. For those who are vaccinated but still get measles, it's usually a less severe course and less likely to transmit. Here in NYC, we can actually check immunization status with the NY State Vaccine Registry. Check with your local Department of Health where you can find a similar database. Any other pearls about vaccination?
1: Well, in the U.S., the first MMR vaccine dose is given at 12 to 15 months old and the second dose at four to six years of age, or 28 days after the first dose. So let's say you have your patient who happens to not be vaccinated and was hanging out with some kids with measles two weeks ago. He's coming in with a fever and two days of the red paint bucket rash.
0: And Brie, besides freaking out, what are you going to do?
1: Well, there's a number of things you have to do besides keeping the patient on airborne isolation. I'd like to thank Doctors Jennifer Light and Michael Phillips, two of our chief epidemiologists here at NYU, for all their help in outlining a lot of what we're about to discuss. In conjunction with calling your hospital's infection control contact, as well as your local Department of Health Bureau of Communicable Diseases, you should order measles IgG and IgM and perform a measles PCR nasal swab. It's important to keep the swab refrigerated until transport to the Department of Health lab. Check with your own hospital's lab which forms are required to be filled out in the ED to send with the specimens to your local DOH.
0: Great, so now that we know how to triage the clinical course and what initial diagnostics to send, what about how to treat measles?
1: Measles is so terrifying in part because there are no antivirals and we pretty much can only provide supportive care. All patients hospitalized with measles should get vitamin A. Give the first dose in the ED, and again 24 hours later. In the ED, give 50,000 IU for infants under 6 months, 100,000 IU for 6 to 11-month-olds, and 200,000 IU for anybody 1 year and older. Look out for these values in the show notes.
0: Excellent. And by supportive care, we're talking about antipyretics, fluid replacement, and treatment of bacterial superinfection.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. And by knowing what complications to expect, we can direct treatment. Diarrhea and pneumonia are the most common. For pneumonia, you want to cover CAP and MRSA organisms. So you can go with a second or third generation cephalosporin plus linezolid or Bactrim. Other respiratory complications include AOM, laryngotracheal bronchitis, and bronchiolitis. Always perform a good eye exam because conjunctivitis, keratitis, and corneal ulcerations can occur.
0: Yeah, it's impressive that measles can wipe out memory T-cells so severely that these patients can get bacterial superinfections up to two years afterwards.
1: That's crazy. As with most infectious diseases, those who are particularly susceptible to these complications include immunocompromised patients, children under 5, those with poor nutrition, and pregnant women.
0: Now Brie, I have a question. Should we be administering post-exposure prophylaxis in non-immune patients?
1: We should, Brian. Either immune globulin or the MMR vaccine. Immune globulin can be given within six days of exposure, and MMR should be given within 72 hours of exposure. They're given to prevent or modify measles in those who don't have evidence of immunity. So give immune globulin to pregnant women without evidence of immunity, severely immunocompromised patients. Babies under 5 months old, and if the MMR is contraindicated.
0: And how do we prove immunity?
1: Documentation of vaccination, presence of measles IgG or IgM, a positive measles PCR or culture, or those born prior to 1957.
0: Okay, that makes sense. And as an EM doc, I'm obviously interested about how to best dispo these patients safely. Is there a set of criteria to help guide who to admit and who can be discharged?
1: Well, there's no set of criteria, but like so much of what we do, it's a clinical decision. Obviously, anybody who's toxic, hemodynamically unstable, or just looks sick is coming in. In healthy patients, a rough rule of thumb is that there should be clinical improvement 48 hours after the exanthem appears. So, an unusually long duration of severe symptoms or fever is concerning.
0: And we must also have a low threshold of suspecting respiratory and neurologic complications. In the US, 1 in 1,000 patients with measles develop encephalitis, which can be fatal. 1 to 2 out of every 1,000 patients who develop measles will die from complications.
1: Exactly. So, what about patients with atypical symptoms but a strong epilink, meaning living in a high risk neighborhood or recent travel to a developing country with measles? Or conversely, patients with typical symptoms and a weak epilink?
0: Well, if they are healthy, look very well, and are reliable, you can consider sending them home after contacting your hospital's ID service and submitting titers and the PCR swab to the Department of Health. This is conditional on these patients being able to isolate themselves and especially to avoid high-risk places such as daycares and grocery stores.
1: Okay, let's say you have a patient with definite measles in the ED. What are you going to do with all the patients who were exposed to him before anybody figured out to isolate him?
0: The duration of isolation depends on immunity and post-exposure prophylaxis. No isolation is necessary if immunity is present. For non-immune folks, isolation ranges from three to four weeks. Those who did not receive PEP or received MMR within three days of exposure should be isolated for three weeks, whereas those who received immune globulin within six days should be isolated for four weeks.
1: Got it. We just covered a whole lot about measles. Let's wrap up with some pearls, eh?
0: Sure. First off, be on high alert for anybody showing up with fever and rash, and always ask about exposures and vaccination history. Remember that individuals with measles are infectious four days before and after the onset of rash.
1: Great. There's a 7-21 to day incubation period, a 2-4 to day prodrome with the 3 C's and complex spots, then two to six days of the head-to-toe rash.
0: And you also want to mobilize your resources for suspected measles. Call PEDS ID, your lab, and the Department of Health. You need airborne precautions and a negative pressure room, and all staff should be immune and wear N95 masks.
1: Think groan without the A for complications. G for GI, R for respiratory, O for ophthalmologic, and N for neurologic.
0: And besides supportive care and treating complications, give vitamin A and post-exposure prophylaxis. Non-immune people require isolation and reporting to the Department of Health. It's critical that these patients understand how important it is to maintain isolation.
1: That's all for this episode. Continue to follow us on Twitter at Coriem and visit us on our website, coriem.net. Until the next one, this is Brian Bryan, signing off.